Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with Mother She Wrote Media. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today, my returning guest is Tiffany Bond. She's running for House Rep in Maine's 2nd Congressional District. We're going to talk about her platform. She's an independent. She's an interesting player in all of this. But before we get into it, the Start Me Up podcast is independent, supported by listeners, and it's woman-run. A great big thank you to everybody who supports the show. If you enjoy today's podcast, visit patreon.com slash startmeup. Check out all the tiers. I do include a tier with a much shorter intro and no ads. You can hear the free shows on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they're followed up by What's Up, a show just for patrons where I talk about anything that comes to mind. It's a little more personal, kind of like my online diary. Visit patreon.com slash startmeup. And don't forget Forget. You can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Now, please enjoy my conversation with Tiffany Bond. Welcome back to the show, Tiffany. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, you're an interesting candidate. You're an interesting person. You're an independent. We're going to talk all about it. You're running in Maine once again. Now, I talked to you, I believe, in 2018, and you were running um, for a Senate seat. Uh, is, am I correct on that? Is my memory right? So in 2018, I was running for the same seat. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. 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 So against uh, the same guys, actually. <laughs> really? That's so interesting. So, um, okay. Before we get into all the stuff that you're doing and your campaign, I want you to quickly just talk about once again ranked choice voting. We all saw that Palin lost in a ranked cho- uh, ranked choice voting election uh, in her primary. And it actually turned out better for the Democrats in this particular case. But I know there's a lot of people out there who aren't fully like they don't fully. I don't even say I couldn't explain it perfectly, even though it's been explained to me more than once. And you've explained it before. But I just would like to know, um, first of all, how it works. Second of all, there are people out there who are concerned about it because they say maybe you're only getting 20 percent, 20 or 30 percent of the vote. That's their fear. And then I'd just like to know, you know, your thoughts on it if you like it or not. So ultimately just explain it. And then if you forget, it's the 20, 30% people, they're afraid that it's only going to be that many people electing someone and then your thoughts on it. Well, uh, ranked choice voting makes that not possible. So the way that ranked choice voting works is, you know, as a voter, you go up and you say, I would like, and I'll, I'll just use my race as an example. I want Tiffany first and then um, maybe I want Jerry Golden and then I want Bruce Poliquin or maybe you don't want to rank Jared Golden or Bruce Poliquin. Um, they run a first round, essentially, so that's like everybody going and casting their vote. Mm-hmm. If anybody gets 50% of the vote, mm-hmm. then um, that person wins. That's it. You oh. know, it's, you, you never end up with a candidate that fewer than 50% of the people voting find palatable. If nobody gets 50%, which is very likely to happen in this particular case that nobody will in the first round, what happens is instead of making everybody come back a few months later and doing a runoff race, it collapses that and says, all right, well, if we were doing a runoff race right now, let's do that runoff race. Mm -hmm. If your candidate's still in the race, if your number one's still there, that's your vote. If the person that you were voting for isn't available, they're not going to be av- available on this ballot. So you can choose to 
uh, no vote them or we'll move to whoever's in your second position if they're still on the ballot. So it, what it does is it saves states money. Mm -hmm. um, it allows a broader range of candidates to run so we don't end up in so many of these two-party horse races. Mm -hmm. And I think it really gives us a lot more depth. Um, I, you know, I was just in a debate this week, and we're only having one because the men aren't real fond of debating me in this race. <laughs> uh, never turns out as well for them as they think it's going to. And, and that's not because I'm, you know, I'm not a wizard of some sort, but I'm a trial attorney who works with uh, federal law all day long. Yeah. I don't think most candidates for Congress would want to debate me. Right. Uh, because I work with the stuff that they do wrong. So I know what's wrong. I know the stuff that's mucking us up. So, um, you know, what, what it does is instead of just people yelling team red and team blue, you know, we can have a much more comprehensive set of answers and it sort of forces the folks who are in team red and team blue to, um, instead of screaming, well, you know, you might get the other guy go, Oh, Oh gosh, there's another person in this race. <laughs> if it goes to ranked choice voting, I'm going to have to appeal to that person's voters. And it sort of pulls people back from the edge of extremism over time, mm, which I really like. Yeah. I, and I really like that. I really like that, that neither party can say you're spoiling the race. Because right. it's not just, you know, Democrats that get spoiled for or Republicans, you know, Greens tend to fall along with lines with the same voters as Democrats, but Libertarians fall along the same lines with Republicans. Yeah. So it can really go either direction. So it's party neutral. But what it does do is it gives depth and it gives us more opportunities to have different points of view. And that makes for a stronger democracy. Wow. That, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, I've always liked the idea of ranked choice voting. Now, I know you're an independent and you say on your website that you would caucus with a party that you feel basically serves best, you know, the, the people the best. Um, is there anything right now that you feel you would caucus with the re Republicans on? So let me clarify that. So I actually have said I will caucus with the majority, okay. but if I am if I am in the very statistically improbable position of determining the majority, I'm going to pick the less damaging party. And the reason why, and right now on a federal level, that is Republicans. To me. Mm -hmm. I, I'm very clear that right now I feel that the Republicans are a much more damaging party. Can that change over time? Sure. Yeah. I mean, if we want to go back to when Democrats had <laughs> Jim Crow laws, yes, it absolutely can be different over time. Mm -hmm. You know, parties parties evolve, and I, I hope that both of them get better. Uh, I hope that both of them improve. Uh, but I don't think of caucus the way that most people think of caucus. I think most people confuse caucus and party beliefs and party line. So I'm a mediator as well. I don't think of it as I'm going to walk up to, or, you know, I, I'm going to join your caucus and then suddenly I absorb all of your beliefs and vote for mm -hmm. everything that you, that you believe. I, I don't do that in my day job. I'm a family law attorney. I work with people I don't like all the time. Mm -hmm. I work with people who are unreasonable all the time. I think of it as where the conversation is happening. And since I'm not in a party, I think it's my responsibility to be wherever the law is being made and to keep an eye on it. So, um, I don't. My vote's going to be the same no matter where I happen to be sitting. I just am going to ask to be sitting wherever they're passing law. Right. Now, you mentioned you had a debate. Uh, tell us about that debate. And then also, before you tell us about the debate, can you just talk a little bit about your competition, who you're up against? Sure. So I'm running against Bruce Poliquin who really should never be in office again. <laughs> he, was a, he was a congressman. Um, 
for four years and he is boy he is a lot and he the older he gets the more he's into nonsense he <laughs> he spews a whole bunch that doesn't belong anywhere near any kind of policy he's voted for some just awful bills mm-hmm. uh and then i'm running against jared golden um who is he's a he's an interesting fellow he won with my number two votes in 2018 he is a democrat but he's a democrat that doesn't vote how i expect a democrat to vote and in bad ways so i like my republicans to be Republicans. I like them to be what I pictured as Republicans growing up. My family was Republican. It was talking about smaller government, fiscal prudence, making sure before you rush forward on things, you have good plans. That's I, I, I want Republicans to be that. Right now, on a federal level, they're comic book villains, so that's not helpful. <laughs> uh, you know, and what, I like my Democrats to be Democrats, right? If I if it's a job that you're applying for and it has a lot of social service roles. Um, there's human rights involved. That's I, I really that's the pitch that I've been given by Democrats and that's what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Golden doesn't really deliver that. He's he's the Democrat that everybody's kind of saying is the, the next mansion or Susan Collins, mm. which I've been saying for quite a while, and they are saying it in a good way, but it's just not a good way. <laughs> so he's the one who split his impeachment vote. He's the one who um has voted against a bunch of of legislation that would be really helpful to people. Uh, he's the one who um, came out very loudly about student loan forgiveness being inappropriate. And though I don't like the mechanism that was used, it's an issue that definitely has to get addressed. He's treating it like a non-issue. Really impacts us in rural areas because we don't have, you know, dentists or doctors or lawyers or therapists or teachers that want to work in those areas. And it's the student loans aren't just for those professions. It's mm-hmm. also you know, plumbers and trade mm-hmm. schools. It's, you take them out for a lot. So, um, so it's an interesting matchup because, in a lot of ways, though I'm not a Democrat, I sound like a lot more of a Democrat than he does because I really care about human rights. I don't, I don't aim for left or right. I aim for north. That's where I point my compass. And having two men that are fighting, you know, one of the things that we were debating over. The two of them were both fighting over who wants to burn more fossil fuels, you know? Hmm. Oh, I've I've paid for more more walls at the border and I've I've you know, I burn baby burn. And I'm wow. like, Oh my god, isn't there supposed to be a Democrat on this stage? I mean, <laughs> so um it's it's really it's surreal for me because normally I don't sound like either a Democrat or Republican. To a lot of people right now, I sound like a Democrat, but that's you know, it's using comparative value. I mm-hmm. also probably look very thin if I stand next to an elephant. <laughs> Well, that's what I'm going to have to do. Stand next to elephants more often. Um, <laughs> so how did the debate go? Oh, my goodness. You know, it, it, what a metaphor for this year. So my, I think my favorite part was when the moderator asked a, a question about abortion rights. <laughs> and the Republican was very Republican-y. And, uh, you know, the Democrat said, well, I think women have the right to choose, but, you know, only up until viability. And I, I, I don't like that late-term abortion stuff. Oh, my God. And then I wasn't asked the question. They just skipped me entirely. Oh, my so God. So I actually had to interrupt the debate and be like, hey, uh, I think a woman should maybe answer that question. Oh, I'm my God. I'm the only person on stage who's birthed children <laughs> and actually can talk about that. I feel like my point of view might have been slightly relevant. Wow. Uh, but, you know, I mean, both of the men have, have bought into this. You know, late-term abortions mm-hmm. are women's just whoring it up, which mm-hmm. I don't care if women 
didn't want to whore it up, but you know, they, they've convinced themselves it's a whole bunch right. of whoring it up so that we can get knocked up so that we can murder those babies, right? You know, eight months old for fun. Well, I mean, what I know <laughs> what happened, and so it's just it's astonishing to me that this has become as much of a political issue as it can, and, and it's yeah. because you know there's just so much misogyny in our society, right. but it's also astonishing. I didn't even get asked a question on it. I mean, yeah, and I think that's how it feels for a lot of us right now. We're being told, oh no, no, the men are gonna take care of this reproductive rights nonsense <sighs> for you. No, no, support women. We will take care of it. In fact, we'll take care of all the messes that you all have made. <laughs> oh, my God. So true. Now, let me ask you, do you feel that um, the the decision to kill Roe Ro will now? I mean, I know where you are and, and, and you're an independent, but just looking out at this election, do you think that the Democrats are going to keep the House specifically because of Roe? Do you think it's, you're not sure? Do you think it's a combination of things? Where are you on the House and where Roe plays into it? I think the Democrats have a real problem with independence right now because I think a lot of them are going to feel the same way I do. And, you know, I can step back and kind of logic my way through it to a point where, you know, maybe I would take better, wiser, more just voting actions. But my my gut instinct as somebody who sort of, you know, is responding as an independent is, you know, Republicans are telling me they're going to strip away a lot of rights. Mm -hmm. Democrats keep telling me they're going to keep them, but they've had like 50 years and didn't. Um, and so nobody's really protecting me. And I think that drives voter apathy. I mean, one of the things that ranked choice voting and independents do there are as many independents as d's and r's right mm -hmm. um and so having ranked choice voting you actually get voters to turn out like for example in this case for reproductive rights if they feel like there's not their person on the ballot they're likely to stay home i mean I don't know how protected I feel with either mm -hmm. one of those men. I don't know that I would want to show up to necessarily vote or, you know, bother putting my pants on if if I'm, you know, a single mom working 50, 60 hours a week and managing everything and I've got two dudes and neither one of them are interested in protecting me at all or it feels like it. Uh, you know, I, I think that we we put a lot of blame on voters who don't turn out, but the bottom line is there's not a lot in some of these races for them to turn out for. I think a lot of times there's a real temptation to run folks who are just milk toast. I hear this all the time about Jared Golden. Oh, he's the only Democrat who can win the second district. That's not true. Mm -hmm. That district's gone left and right, depending on who the candidate is. You need somebody who's honest and forthright and it feels like you can trust them even if you don't always agree with them and that means sometimes their policy is going to be more conservative or more liberal than yours what it doesn't mean is you don't send somebody in there who throws votes so they can pretend they're independent and that's mm -hmm. why i think what we've got in golden and i find that to be really very sad and, and very dangerous for democracy so i don't know how many races across the country are like this i think a lot of them are sort of set in stone um and, and it's going to be hard to swing some of those just because of the way that politics are set up. But I do think there are some places that, you know, things can swing one way or the other or in Maine a different way entirely uh, that would be really beneficial. And I think that the way you do that is you drive voter turnout, not by using people's fear to get them to the ballot by saying, you know, here's ways we're going to listen to you. Hey, if we're needing independent votes, 
you know, we're going to reach out and we're not going to pretend to be an independent, but we'll, we'll at least say your concerns are valid and we're willing to talk through them with you and it might make our policy better. And that, I think, is what's really missing from a lot of the discourse you see in the parties. Hmm. All right, we have to take a quick break and we're going to be back after this message. Hey, this is Kimberly. Real quick, if you're not already a patron of the show, please check out patreon.com slash startmeup. You'll see all the different tier options. I would really appreciate it if you check them out and become my patron. You'll have my undying gratitude. Thanks so much. Okay, we're back. You know, I want to ask you, I'm curious, you mentioned that you didn't feel the Democrats were uh, protecting abortion rights or keeping you safe. And I'm wondering why you say that. What is your reasoning there? Well, when they've had opportunities in the past to do it, and admittedly, those opportunities were somewhat limited, um, but we were told we weren't the priority, right? I mean, they had the votes, uh, possibly, you know, or at least they had they had the amount of votes necessary within the party. They may not have had the support within the party um, when they did the ACA, but if they didn't have the support within the party, even though they would have had enough people to have those votes, then what was the party pitching? You know what I mean? Are you talking about after it was struck, struck down? No, no, no. I'm talking about, uh, you know, if you look back at the last 50 years mm-hmm. when this could have been codified and okay. made into a much more solid law. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's that's a lot of what they've struck Roe down on. And Roe is not just, you know, it's, it's not just reproductive rights. It's mm-hmm. not even birth control. I mean, it, if you want to cite, if you want to homeschool, it's privacy generally. If right. you want to homeschool, the case you cite is Roe. Yeah. Right. So when, with, when that fell, it wasn't just women's rights that fell. It was a huge amount of privacy rights. Um, and people are rightly very afraid, not just women, people who um, have non-traditional and same-sex marriages. I mean, they they are at risk and it is it is really terrifying that we don't have people taking better steps to protect them um but you know there we have right now a congress which regardless of party is not willing to protect women just over the half half of the population so um i think that i think it's very hard to believe what the parties say when the the laws don't reflect the the statements right well i have to just for my listeners you and i have a slightly different i mean i i can totally get behind the fact that i i agree democrats could have done more in the past to codify and protect um but i i also see how they have fought for women's rights and for reproductive issues so i just want to separate a little bit of myself from where you're where you are on this just so my listeners don't think that i'm like oh kimberly's just in agreement 100 percent, because i do see you know i mean i i think i've had issues with the democrats myself when they have been fearful to even say the word abortion i see them a little bit more brazen now because they understand that Republicans are sometimes literally running away from the subject. And uh, so the way I see it is I see the Republicans wanting to take them away. But I do agree that they should have been strengthened um, in the past. And I think that it should have been more of a priority. In fact, so many people were telling us that they were not going to get rid of Roe. And I was like in 2003 telling my friends, we, we have to watch out because they want to get rid of Roe. And so obviously they eventually did. And so I, I just want to clarify for myself there. 
Um, but I totally get what you're saying, and I'm not I'm not knocking it. I just oh. want to put my thoughts and, on there. <laughs> and here's something that's different about being an independent. I mean, I can talk about anything, and, and it's very hard to offend me. I, I absolutely <laughs> concede that there are many Democrats who are very concerned about this and yeah. probably more concerned about it now than they were in the past because right. Roe has fallen. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I talked about at the debate is they were talking about, oh, do we need to codify you know, gay marriage and the Republican was mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, I don't know that we need to, <laughs> I don't know that we need to do that. That's the law right now. And right. Know, my response is that the, it's legislative neglect to yes, not. It because is. it causes needless harm and mm-hmm. stress to people. So do I think that there are absolutely Democrats that are into this? And again, probably more now than there were five years <laughs> right. ago. Yes. I think it's an issue that's, that's much more top of mind. I think that it was, it was really easy for a lot of Democrats, particularly male Democrats, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, including Obama, who said it pretty directly that, you know, reproductive rights were going to have to wait because health insurance was more important and reproductive rights weren't under threat. But they were, mm-hmm. you know, it took a long time were. for that to play out, but they mm-hmm. were. And we always knew that. But just like women are not listened to when we yep. say that we're in pain, mm-hmm. we're also not listened to when we say we're under threat we only are taken seriously when something happens right Right. we we often aren't taken seriously about pain until we're diagnosed with cancer yeah just like when we say we're unsafe from a stalker they think that we're you know exaggerating and histrionic until he shows up at our house with a gun right so i think the same thing has happened with legislation and we can't change where roe is this very second with what we've got i hope I hope that this gets men particularly, because most women do take it very seriously. Mm-hmm. I hope this gets men particularly to, to realize that when women say something's an issue, we're not being theatrical. We're being serious. We don't yeah. take energy to be theatrical. It, it's it's more energy to have the conversation than it's worth if it's for drama. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, all right, let's just switch over to, I know that there was a recent mill closure uh, in your district or announcement. So I'm curious what's going on with that and how are you involved and what is your take on it? So here is how I sound very different from the party. So what happened is kind of a unified response from the Democrats and Republicans. I mean, they weren't putting out the same press releases, but they might as well have been. Oh, my gosh, it's just so sad. Why couldn't we prevent this? The Republicans were, of course, criticizing the Democrats mm-hmm. for not preventing, although it's been on a track for this for years. Um, and it was it's a paper mill. And um, paper is, you know, going the way of the buggy whip for the type of paper that is um, manufactured here. It's being manufactured overseas. Mm. You know, we don't, we just don't manufacture that type of paper here that much. And and the one of the boilers blew up, and it was just too expensive to repair it. So, wow. you know, uh, what what pains me is, it's great to come up with, you know, condolences on the loss of jobs, but right. we know these jobs are going away. This mill only employs, you know, a, a little over a hundred people now. Used to employ well over a thousand. It's it's been on this decline for years, and we should have for years had our thinking caps on and said, mm-hmm. okay, well, what what can we manufacture there that is sustainable, that's necessary, that uses similar power and wa- and or water requirements that would be a really good fit for these buildings because these aren't tourist hubs. You just can't convert them to restaurants and condos. They they need they need jobs, not yeah. restaurants and condos. So you know why aren't we manufacturing insulin there? 
right? That, that process really isn't that dissimilar in a lot of the power and other requirements necessary. A lot of the processing, there's, there, there's some similar gunky chop it up boil it stuff in insulin production as there is in in paper you know we could be creating living wage jobs that provide an ongoing need at a, a reasonable price or mills are are right on the water and we have a fairly abundant water there why aren't we doing indoor year-round vertical architecture agriculture agriculture for this and that way in Maine our winters are harsh mm-hmm. you know we we have you cannot grow outside in the winter in Maine yeah. there will be food of snow it's just not a possibility <laughs> um, and so I think that we as independents need to maybe challenge both party leaders that when you know stuff like this is happening mm-hmm. you know Come forward with an idea. Don't just say it's sad. Yeah. Say it's bad, and here's what we're going to do about it. And I wish we had a lot more. You know, that applies to everything. That applies yes. to guns. Mm-hmm. That applies to healthcare. That applies to row. You know, not just this is sad. This is sad. And here's how we come up with solutions for it. Yeah, and people always respond so well to that. And you know, I mean, it's you know, regardless of what party you're in, it, it is much better to have solutions available and at least the you know, showing that there's an effort. And, you know, I mean, I I like to take this a little more existential and talk about, you know, we are a, we are a collective and the choices that we make um, basically define us. You know, I mean, I I posted something about this last night, you know, it's like, whether you believe in God or not, um, you know, just put that aside. We are a collective that makes certain kinds of choices and then, and then that creates our reality. And I think we need to make better choices. And what you're talking about right now is one of those, you know, one way to express it because we need to be a little bit more proactive and a little bit less just reactive to things. And I, you know, I am a Democrat and I will, I believe, always be a Democrat, but that doesn't mean I am blind to mistakes that might you know, have been made or people continue to make in the party. And I 100% agree with you that we should be thinking about solutions that I wish that would be something that, uh, I don't know, maybe this, maybe this experience that we're having right now with, with where the right is comic book villains, um, maybe that's going to help push us into a, a better, I don't know, just better way of thinking. Let's hope so. Um, I also though want to talk to you about you because I know you talk a lot about social service, uh, a social service network. So how do you think we can make that more helpful? Well, and I think that uh, that's actually a really nice dovetail into that. Um, one of the things that has come up is the Inflation Reduction Act has IRS agents coming in. And it's funny to me to watch all of the uproar around it. And, and it actually got me thinking about what we want our IRS to do. Uh, and one of my big frustrations is our social safety network right now is set up so much on catching fraud and not so much on delivering services, right? Mm-hmm. I want, if something heaven forbid happens to me and I need social services mm-hmm. or my clients, because I'm working with separating families often at the lowest emotionally, but also financially mm-hmm. in their life, you know, they, they are, they are in hard straits a lot of the time. And I am often having to say, like, you're going to need to get food stamps. You, yeah. You're going to need to get medical care. You can't survive. It'll be for a short period because, you know, your kids are going to school in a couple of years. But you've got this window mm-hmm. where there is just not the resources. And a lot of times they're treated like criminals for yeah. applying for services. It's awful. Um, and the amount of resources we spend doing that is, in many times, is 
is more than we deliver in services. So mm-hmm. what I would love to see us do is I'd like to have us make benefits be reportable, maybe not like income, but some sort of reporting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just help people yeah. with our social services. Make sure that that network is delivering what it's supposed to. And then if somebody snuck through, if they're one of the five-ish percent that commits fraud, mm-hmm. just catch them on their taxes. The IRS, like that's their day job is fraud prevention. Right. <laughs> and they can probably catch it with five to ten percent of the energy that it takes for our social services workers to do it and it's probably a lot emotionally healthier for our social services workers too it it would encourage them to see people who are needing services delivered far more like clients they're helping um you know instead of people that they have to screen and see if they're one of the bad guys yeah so i'd love to see us be reconfiguring and streamlining our services a little bit so that we can actually put the money towards what it's intended to do good point um i do want to i want to talk to you about a couple more subjects um sure i think what we're going to end on is the way that voters can get involved but i do want to kind of touch on the fact um we need to get money out of politics but we're in it so deep right now so how do you think we should go about achieving that goal well, so I have a semi-eccentric way that I have been working on that. And, and I say it's eccentric because it, it, I think it would work everywhere, but it's easier to have it work in Maine. So Maine, um, particularly rural Maine, so we have over 390 municipalities in Maine's second congressional district. It's one of the largest congressional districts there is. It's over 80% of the state by land mass. And we've, we've just got a lot of towns that are 1,000 or fewer people. In fact, most of our towns are 1,000 or fewer people. And so... One of Maine's best natural resources that is sort of underdeveloped is gossip. Mm-hmm. We're good at it. There's a lot of it. We don't use it enough. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I've done is instead of asking people to give me money, I say, take the same amount of money you want to give me and instead invest it in the community. Shop at a small business, mm-hmm. donate to a local not for profit. Um, and or, you know, help fund a teacher project on donors choose. Um, I think that um, it's a better, healthier way to do it and invest in the community. But the thing that makes it magic isn't just putting those resources towards that. It's making sure you leave a note or tell the person in person if you're doing a in-person transaction. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm doing this because my candidate, you know, insert candidate here for me, it's Tiffany Bond doesn't want to be wasteful and doesn't want to beg me with money for ads they want all of those resources Mm -hmm. to go into the community um when that happens it's i mean it's magic i I get emails and calls from people hey somebody helped my business or somebody helped our food bank you know who are you what are your policies how do (laughs) we support you because that's how we want money spent you know if five or ten people do it no harm no foul particularly in a ranked choice race yeah but you know if ten thousand people do it i i think i win and maybe we change the way we do stuff but we we could look forward to election season um i know that (laughs) nationally the um sarah gideon susan collins race got an awful lot of airtime because there was so much money put on it but what it showed is money doesn't buy races even Mm -hmm. if you have a a catastrophic amount of money Mm -hmm. i mean that race was everywhere they blew through upwards of a hundred million dollars and um that could have given us several years where nobody in maine went hungry or cold or they were you know we we could have had small businesses thriving in Mm -hmm. a pandemic year so um i'd love to see us repurpose how we 
use would be money great. in politics. Yeah, that would be fantastic. And then it would just, you know, this, that, that is a solution that comes from a loving point of view. And, you know, help out your fellow human. And that's fantastic. I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, what are the best ways now? This is a wrap up, but I, we're not closing completely because I do want you to talk. I want to hear your thoughts on what do you think, you know, people can do, not just for your campaign, but just in general in election. How can voters, you know, make the best of their time? And, you know, I, had, I talked to a couple of other people who uh, were giving ideas about, you know, I think, I think I was talking about, like, it was either how we win or swing left or one of those. And they were talking about the different ways you can help your candidate. So aside from that, I want to know that. What do you think is the best way to help your candidate? And then just in a general sense, what can people do to be more engaged in the political process? Sure. I have, I probably have um, the most crowdsourced grassroots campaign in the country right now, at least of a federal race. So I give people lots of options of things they can do. And a lot of these could be applied to other races, frankly. You don't necessarily have to apply them to just mine, although I would love the support. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the main raising strategy that I have, I think that can be rolled out to just about anybody. Um, we have folks that, come in and uh, you know people donate postage and postcards and they write out postcards the campaign provides names and addresses mm-hmm. um that's a, a great way to spread the dollars and also it's great for people who are introverts or don't don't <laughs> want a door knock um text a few friends i tell people you know if you know people in the district send them texts mm-hmm. if you don't know people in the district text them about how to do a main raising that's you know, if you get five people to do it, that's the equivalent of five door knocks that I couldn't get to. Right. It's really helpful. Um, I have people follow me on social media. So I'm on Twitter at Tiffany Bond is the easiest place to find me. I have an Instagram as well. It's at Tiffany L Bond, but I am, yeah, I am, I'm not as political there. That's, that's yeah. more for the people who kind of want to break and just want to see how beautiful Maine is. I do put some political stuff up, but not much. You know, my website is bond, the number four dot M E. And then I have a get involved page and you'll find things like uh, we're updating them right now, but we have flyers and brochures that you can download an email or print out if people wanted to do their own door knocking sort of above and beyond what mm-hmm. we've got going with campaign volunteers um, instead of um, lawn signs they're horrible for the planet so here's where I don't sound like a Democrat either I actually kind of sound <laughs> like a green here uh, I, I think that lawn signs are awful so people can download what I have window signs they can download print tape in a window of their car office home um, show those off and then recycle them at the end of the season. Hmm. And the best part about those is you don't even have to be in the district for that too. You can be like, Hey, here's my, here's my sign about your campaign from Hawaii. I'm encouraging people to follow you and get involved and, you know, do a main raising or contribute to a not-for-profit in there, which is part of main raising. But a lot of, you usually get people with main raising who really like to shop or really like to donate, but not both. <laughs> so <if> you, <laughs> not always the same uh, market there. Um, and, and, you know, there's just, there's a lot of stuff you can do even from, hey, you know, as a part of main raising, I went and tried out this new restaurant and I'm going to go leave a Yelp review mm-hmm. and say, your restaurant was great. I was encouraged to come there from this political campaign, though, mm-hmm. so maybe we should move campaigns to that. So I think that everything that you can do, you can add that element of you know positive gossip to it, and it can really change the way that things work. 
Wow, that's a fascinating. You just, I really love that idea. So I just want to like emphasize that it's such a good idea. You're also you have. Um, I'm looking here. So of course on Twitter you're at like you said Tiffany Bond, and then you've got Bond for the letter four. Um, period me. The number four. Dot, yeah, dot the number me. Bond. The number four. Uh, period me. I'm saying period just in case anybody you know instead of saying dot. But anyway, slash. Main Raising. And um, you've also got an account at Main Raising on Twitter. So FYI, everybody, <laughs> go yeah. to Tiffany's. Uh, if you go to her Twitter account, you can look at all these. All Everything is there. So go check her out there. Of course, I'm author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Don't forget the E at the end of my name. Uh, my books are on Amazon. And Tiffany, it was fantastic talking to you. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. Oh, it was such a delight to come back. Thank you so much for having me. Well, good luck to you. Bye.